Today's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is brought to you by HelloFresh. Listeners, do you feel like you're stuck in a dinner rut? With HelloFresh, you get fresh pre-measured ingredients with mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your front door. Skip all those trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. You can now enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. With over 25 recipes to choose from each week, there is something for everyone to enjoy. All recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. Now, Christian, one of the reasons I love HelloFresh so much is I love their variety. But I'm not going to lie, last week, I must have had the old school barbecue pork Slappy Joe's three dinners in a row with the pickled onions and the potato wedges with the Chipotle ranch. It's just delicious comfort food done right. Well, you know me, I've always enjoyed a hot bowl of soup, so I've been trying a bunch of options. Most recently, their Italian wedding soup with meatballs, simply amazing. So listeners, go to our link in our show notes and get $80 off, including free shipping on HelloFresh, the number one meal kit. That's HelloFresh, the recipe for deliciousness. Nerds, it's time to suit up and nerd up. Launching badass rockabilly track. Now processing all possible timelines and realities. Time to save the world with some wrestling, video games, movies, horror, and more. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's show, we've got film reviews for James Wan's Malignant and Netflix's Kate. We'll also be breaking down the latest episode of What If. Plus, we'll be discussing what's going on with AEW and next week's Grand Slam event. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. All right, so this week's review comes from Tom. Uh, He wrote a show for nerds by nerds. Not only do these guys know their stuff, but they're super easy to listen to and are always honest and funny with their takes on everything happening in the comic book, movie, horror, video game space. Uh, Thanks a lot, Tom. Tom also has a podcast called The 33% Majority. You can go ahead and check them out on all your favorite podcast platforms. But again, thank you for the review, man. And also, this week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Liquid Death. All right, man. It's that time again. Let's go ahead and bust out a can of that ice-cold Liquid Death and get our vocal courts nice and ready for this episode i mean even though falls right around the corner it's still hot as hell in chicago but nothing beats the heat like that delicious mountain fresh water you got that right it's exactly why i love liquid death because it brutally murders your thirst and don't forget man they're bringing death to plastic bottles because of their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans that they also donate 10 percent of profits from to help kill plastic pollution most plastic you throw in a recycling bin actually just gets sent to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle 
but Liquid Death's aluminum cans are infinitely recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities. Hey man, just like I said last week, I love sitting on my porch, blasting some Death Angel as I pound back ice cold tall boys of Liquid Death and then smashing them on my head, scaring the shit out of the neighbors. I can't wait to read a police blotter on public disturbance by menacing man angrily drinking water. Don't tell me how to live my life, Christian. <laughs> right now, you can head over to liquiddeath.com and with your purchase, you can use our promo code AMAZINGNERD and you'll get a free koozie two-pack. Or hey, you can be like me and head over to your local 7-Eleven or Whole Foods nationwide and pick up Liquid Death today. And brutally murder your thirst in style with your very own ice-cold can of Liquid Death. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors in Nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Well, first this week, a rumored live-action Marvel Zombies project may be in development. So after everyone was coming down from the high of What If's awesome Marvel Zombie episode, writer Mark Miller, who first introduced the Marvel Zombies in his Ultimate Fantastic Four book, shared a tidbit of information that will definitely put him in Kevin Fockey's crosshairs if it turns out true. The writer noted in his newsletter that if his sources are correct, we might be getting a little live-action Marvel Zombies down the line, but then saying, you didn't hear that from me. Uh, this, of course, set the internet on fire. Uh, while I personally would love to see a feature-length Marvel zombie film, I just have a feeling this is going to be more of a cameo, or a couple of scenes maybe in the upcoming like Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness movie, and we've heard for a while now that that's going to be pretty much a straight horror film, so I mean, with Sam Raimi helming it, and them already introducing, you know, the Marvel's zombies and what if i mean why not and this is just me totally fanboying out so don't take this seriously but i mean in the comics ash you know sam raimi's ash from the evil dead actually had a crossover with the marvel zombies so hello could you imagine getting a brief moment of bruce campbell like you know swinging his chainsaw arm at the marvel zombies you know just a brief glimpse it's totally not gonna happen but i mean a boy can dream i mean if spider-man plays a part in this that's a great way to again bring bruce campbell and spider-man together on screen he does always have a cameo in sam raimi's you know marvel films so it mm -hmm. only makes sense that's all i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's not gonna happen but whatever now if they did choose to do like a feature length film i think marvel should reach out to Zack snyder okay you you want him to do more of an army of the dead stuff well or? i know because i mean the guy knows how to do zombie films so it just True. makes perfect sense and i mean what a great way to stick to dc right <laughs> if you're Zack snyder uh -huh. <laughs> fuck you guys if you know you don't want me anymore the mcu will take me go screw but i mean in all seriousness like Zack makes a damn good zombie film so, and you know, he does superheroes, so why not combine the two? I mean, if they were to do a separate project, I could see maybe like an hour special that they could put on Disney Plus. Mm, yeah, like a Halloween special. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they definitely like their holiday specials. I mean, we know that Guardians of the Galaxy are getting one and there's a rumored, you know, Werewolf by Night, you know, Halloween one happening. So why not? I mean, could you imagine if they actually get like Robert Downey Jr. and like Chris Evans, you know, back in the MCU, but just as like zombie versions of their characters, just That'd grunting and moaning? <laughs> I Disney's would love got it. the money. <laughs> I don't think they're going to want to do it, but <laughs> I mean, 
That would be fantastic. Well, it also looks like Marvel is adding four more movies to their 2024 release schedule. So, of course, after we recorded last week's episode, Walt Disney Studios unveiled its updated theatrical release slate through 2024, and it included four different Marvel Studio dates staggered throughout the year. The first date came on February 16th, uh, while the two summer blockbuster dates are uh, both May 3rd and July 26. The final 2024 date for Marvel Studios will be in the fall on November 8th. So as of right now, we have three officially announced Marvel projects without release dates. Uh, That's John Watts' uh, Fantastic Four, we've got Blade, and we also have Deadpool 3. So all three of those movies don't have dates. Uh, Then uh, to top it off, we also have the Captain America 4 film that has hasn't been officially announced, even though we know it's happening. So that means between 2023 and 2024, there are still three slots unaccounted for. Just to clarify for the audience, I guess, uh, would that mean that there's three slots available in 2023? Yes, because uh, we only have announced so far uh, Quantumania in February and uh, Guardians Volume 3 in May. So oh, okay. there are uh, there's a slot open in July, October, and November. So that means there's seven total open spots <laughs> for the next two years. But I mean, we know that there's three films on the horizon, like I said, and then one rumored with Captain America four. Um, so technically, there's probably more just like three, you know, unannounced films at this point that we're looking at. Which I is, I mean, still, that's a lot of fucking movies, right? Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I remember when we were just talking about like Marvel doing only two movies a year. You know, and now we're looking at seven across two. Well, I mean, the pandemic happened and we got backlogs. So now they're just trying to churn these babies out. Right. And then on top of everything, you've got the fucking Disney Plus shows. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's just insane right now. I mean, I hope you like yourself some Marvel because we're going to be getting a whole lot of it over the next three years. Hell yeah. Up next, the upcoming Batman film has another possible spinoff with The Penguin rumored to be coming to HBO Max. So according to Variety, a spinoff series surrounding the film's version of The Penguin, played by Colin Farrell, is currently in early development at Warner Brothers uh, for the HBO Max streaming service. Farrell is reportedly in early talks to reprise his role for the spinoff, but no deal is currently in place. Uh, The film will follow the Penguin's rise to power in Gotham's criminal underworld. Currently, the Batman director, Matt Reeves, is attached to be the executive producer, and we also have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Impulse alum, Lauren LaFranc, attached to write the script. So, man, if this goes as planned, this will actually be the second potential HBO Max spinoff series uh, to the Batman, because there's also supposed to be a GCPD series uh, in the works. So they must think, you know, the Batman's going to be a huge hit. And I mean, I hope they're right, you know, for their sakes and ours. Like, I'm looking forward to this film, but I... I have this weird history with DC at this point where I'm hoping that they've like watched it and they really love it before they're committing to so much more. Because if this doesn't do well and if it just becomes another bomb, uh, I don't know. You know, it'd be disappointing (laughs) to to have now two more shows that they want us to check out after this, too, to just, you know, eventually get canceled. No, it's it's definitely counting your chickens before they hatch. So, um, (laughs) 
Yeah, because if this ends up being a flop, especially with fans, like who the hell's going to want to sit through two like spinoff shows, mm-hmm. you know, based off of it? Um, you know, and then I feel like too, like we just saw a Penguin series kind of yeah. with um, Gotham, right? Gotham, yeah. Um, but I, I'm willing to give this a shot. I mean, Colin Farrell's awesome. As long as fucking Fish Mahoney doesn't show up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with it, I guess. We're also getting a rumor that in Indiana Jones 5, Harrison Ford could be passing the torch to Phoebe Waller-Bridge. So yes, the Daily Mail is reporting that Walter Bridge has been tapped to replace Ford as Indiana Jones's franchise's lead uh, after the fifth film hits theaters. So according to the Daily Mail's inside sources, this is one of the big bull changes Lucasfilm's president, Kathleen Kennedy, wants to make to the property after Ford retires from it. So while I don't necessarily need them to like continue the franchise of Indiana Jones without Harrison Ford, I mean, they're definitely going to because, I mean, they like him. I don't mind them, you know, having a female lead for Indiana Jones, but I don't see why you don't just reboot the series then instead of it being like a passing the torch situation, because we saw how well that worked in the past with, you know, good old Mutt. Um, You know, just restart the series, because how weird is it going to be to have the lead of the film not be named Indiana Jones? Like, (laughs) what sense does that make? I always felt like Indiana Jones could be like James Bond, where you you don't really have to worry about the continuity and you could have you know different actors playing the part and if you want to do a female lead great but at least have them be named indiana jones for crying out loud yeah i don't know enough about the actress to you know have an opinion on if she's going to make a great indie or not but i've at- never heard of her exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh but at the same time i i can just see so many fans of this you know pushing back uh, instead of them just doing a reboot, which they should have just done from the start, instead of trying to get Harrison Ford, of all people, to do action scenes again. Yeah. This whole project seems kind of cursed at this point. But oh, yeah. I mean, how knows? many times have they stopped and started production? Because, you know, he keeps Multiple. on getting injured, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what happens when your lead action hero is 80-something. So. Yes. <laughs> But like I said, and I know this is going to be sacrilege for some people, but I don't mind the franchise continuing on past Harrison Ford as long as they can capture that original, like, action-packed, fun vibe um, that the original movies brought, at least the first three. Um, But, like, you don't need to be a slave to continuity here. Like, (laughs) I think people are okay with just a straight kind of reboot. I would think people would be open-minded enough to accept a female lead. Um, I just don't see why you would even bother getting bogged down with continuity. Because honestly, I just want to see Indiana Jones punch Nazis. That's all I want. Yeah, exactly. Right? But anyways, it looks like we got a brand new trailer this week. That's right, Christian. This past Monday, the MCU gave us an early Christmas gift in the form of a Hawkeye trailer. You're a Hawkeye. Who the hell are you? Some people have actually called me. The world's greatest archer. Are you one of those people? So I thought this trailer was a lot of fun and it actually got me more excited for this series than I was before. Um, but Christian, not so much. 
Um, I think like off first watch, I didn't get too much out of it. I think the only thing that really made me smile or get interested was when she drops the line about, you know, um, having trick arrows. But beyond that, you know, I think I got a little bit more interested after I started to pick it apart and watch the trailer a couple more times. Uh, just seeing a little bit more elements of what we'll be getting out of the actual show. But just the first watch of that trailer didn't really spark joy, I should say. Like you even know what joy feels like, you cold hearted son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, so we open up the trailer in New York City during the most wonderful time of the year. And let me tell you, I'm a sucker for a Christmas backdrop. So I was already sold at this point. Gotcha. <laughs> Unlike Christian. No, uh, I'm not a Christmas guy. <laughs> big surprise, Christian. Uh-huh. Um, so we see Clint having dinner with his kids, trying to make up for lost time. Uh, strangely, his wife isn't there, uh, which really stuck out to me. Uh, but we do see see him talking to her, at least we think, uh, later on down the line. Next, we see him taking the kids to see Rogers, the musical, which looks like to be a Broadway production about Captain America's life, which mm -hmm. I just need to be a real thing, like sweatpants, Hulk and all. I do feel like we could you know, put out better productions of what's what happened at the Avengers, you know, meetup, but whatever, you know, Broadway, I think could do better, but fuck it. <laughs> what are you part of the Tony's like voting committee, man? Like, <laughs> All I'm saying is if I was, they probably wouldn't be winning My that year. God. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, then we see Hawkeye seeing a news report uh, showing someone else dressed up as Rodan running around the streets of New York, uh, who turns out to be none other than Kate Bishop. Like, I have no clue why Kate would choose this persona to go by, because it's got to be by far, like, the most dangerous one to choose, since Hawkeye made tons of enemies, like, murdering, like, criminals for the past, like, four years wearing this getup. But, I mean, whatever. Yeah, I'm not completely sure why she would pick up that uh, different persona of his, but, I mean, she she can be a big fan of the original Hawkeye, right? <laughs> at yeah, but is it common knowledge that Hawkeye was Ronin at this point? I don't think so, but I feel like Kate Bishop of all people might have dived a little too far and maybe that's what she got herself in trouble and maybe that's why she's now Ronan. <laughs> sure. And maybe, she, you know, she's such a fangirl. She didn't want to take on the Hawkeye, you know, uh, moniker because, you know, Hawkeye's still, you know, active. Yes, it's all about respect, right? <laughs> sure. We're just going to have to wait for the series to figure uh -huh. this out. <laughs> so Hawkeye, now with his past catching up to him, sends his kids off, but like promises them that he'll at least mark. So Hawkeye, now with his past catching up to him, sends his kids off, promising them that he'll be home by Christmas. So in this shot, Hawkeye is wearing an earpiece and a lot of people are speculating that it might actually be a hearing aid since that's long been rumored a story from the comics that they want to tell. Uh, it kind of feels like a safe bet too, especially knowing that Echo, who's also deaf, is in the series and they can obviously draw on a lot of parallels there. Mm -hmm. Next, we see Hawkeye meeting up with Kate for the first time who in the comics is the leader of the Young Avengers and who eventually, as everyone knows, becomes Hawkeye's protege to the point of even taking on the same moniker. Uh, we then get a couple of scenes with the tracksuit mafia, which is a big part of Matt Fraction's series, which most of the show seems like it's going to be based on. And a lot of cool action stuff happens, falling out of buildings onto Christmas trees, being shot out in restaurants, Kate attempting to save a tied up Hawkeye by crashing through a skyline and, you know, failing miserably. Uh, <laughs> the series definitely seems like it's going to be action packed. 
Here we also see Kate's mom, played by Vera Farmiga, who's also been rumored to be playing Madame Mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just hope we don't have a case of like the whole Scooby-Doo, you know, who's the villain gimmick running through the entire series again. Like I just want the villain to be up front and center and not have to deal with the mystery like week mm-hmm. after week. Because at this point, what what is this, the fourth series? Uh-huh. It's just getting kind of stale. You know, like, <laughs> I understand it's good water cooler talk, but I feel like at this point it's getting kind of redundant. I'm, I think what I'm hoping for with a Madame Mask type character, especially with it being her mom, if that is the case if in this show, and that's not just like a red herring that we're all just speculating on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm hoping that that will be more of a lead in to something bigger later with maybe the Young Avengers. And it's not something that necessarily happens in this show. It's just something that they tease and point at. But isn't that kind of what they did with Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Yeah, but it's a formula <laughs> that works, I guess. <laughs> Is it, though? Like, I don't know, man. Four series in a row? Like, you can't. I don't know. I feel like that's just too much. But anyway, we also get a brief shot of uh, Lucky the Pizza Dog. And we get our first look at Echo. Just briefly, though. I really can't wait to see what they do with the character. I mean, she's fantastic in the comic books and really underappreciated. She's also supposed to be getting her own spinoff series. So I feel like she's going to be a major part of, you know, Hawkeye. Anyway, we get more action scenes. Uh, We see Kate and Hawkeye teaming up on an ice rink. Uh, We get a huge car chase, which, of course, was the only thing Christian popped for. Uh, (laughs) We see Kate finding out just how dangerous Hawkeye's trick arrows are. Uh, I mean, this just looks like a fun madcap holiday romp. Um, which will hopefully, you know, melt Christian's cold heart eventually. (laughs) Uh, I like that we're dealing with Marvel's underworld, it seems like. We also know that Florence Pugh, playing Black Widow's sister, is supposed to be showing up looking for vengeance. There's another giant rumor right now making the rounds on the internet, of course, uh, that Vincent D'Onofrio will be reprising his role as the Kingpin, uh, which would just be amazing. Uh, because, I mean, if you're going to use that character, no one else should be playing him. So this rumor was actually started by D'Onofrio himself. I guess people were really reading to some tweets he was putting out there after the Hawkeye trailer dropped. But he's talked about it for the past couple years of, like, how much he loved the role and how much he wants to return as the character. Mm. So... Hopefully, you know, Kevin Foggy made that happen. Because even though those Netflix shows are now out of continuity, the Kingpin is still one of my favorite Marvel villains on screen of all time. Yeah, absolutely amazing performance by him. And at this point, I think I'm putting my money in him being the big bad of this series. Uh, The way I think I picture the show going on is just I I think we're going to get Clint Barton going and finding out who's been taking up his, you know, moniker as Ronin. Um, You know, I think Yelena is going to go after that Ronin character thinking that that's, you know, the person that she's supposed to be hunting down and then the rest of the series will be dealing with you know probably the mistakes that kate bishop has been doing as ronin (laughs) Um, and that's how we'll lead into um kingpin being this you know pissed off at them i could see that uh in the comics it's actually echo who's the first character to go by the ronin mantle um so maybe that's worked in to the show Mm, somehow but i guess we'll just have to wait a couple months to find out uh hawkeye will be premiering november 24th all right man it's time for our weekly breakdown of what if today we're looking at episode six 
Warning spoiler alert. Major spoilers for Marvel's What If. You have been warned. You know, we need another power source. Hey. Hey, if we could miniaturize an arc reactor. Oh, that's a dumb idea. What we need is vibranium. With the right juice, it can act as a self-sustaining energy source. Yeah, now you're thinking. Too bad Pops used up the last of it during the war. Hmm. Not all of it. Before I even get too far into this week's episode, something that I feel like I keep forgetting to mention is how much the Watcher is becoming more and more animated and present in each episode. Like in the beginning, we saw him, you know, at a distance, he might be in the background a couple times, but like in this episode specifically, I don't know why it stood out to me even more. You know, that very first shot of the episode where we see him just like towering over, you know, everything that's going on, you know, just really felt like they there was so much more detail to him. I don't know if that to signify anything i could also just be reading into it too much no i agree it's probably like a visual cue that he's about to get involved i'm assuming mm -hmm. but I, that did stand out to me also Anyway, we start off this week's episode with the opening of Iron Man, where Tony Stark on his convoy gets attacked by the Ten Rings organization. But this time, instead of getting captured in the attack, it seems Killmonger was stationed nearby and completely wipes out the Ten Rings before evacuating Tony from the scene. You know what I kind of bumped up against here? You know, th this takes place before Killmonger, like, you know, takes the, you know, whatever, the sacred Black Panther herb or, you know, I, I forget what it's called. So, like, he's just a normal dude. Uh -huh. I mean, yeah, he's probably at, like, the peak level of a human. But, like, the fact that he was able to just, like, pick up a missile and, like, launch it himself... I was like, that just I mean, David, felt... you can't do that? <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. Christian, I'm lucky if I can get off this couch tonight, so... Uh, but no, like, I was like, okay, well, I mean, I, I know he's strong and everything, but uh -huh. not, I don't know, that felt a bit much, but whatever. I, I'm nitpicking. No, I, I think I agree with you. I feel like there's a couple of moments where he seemed almost superhuman in this episode before he gets that herb later on. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I guess it wasn't a giant missile. So I don't know. And I've never a held missile's a missile. A missile. <laughs> I've never held a missile. So maybe you could just throw it like a football. I don't know. I doubt it. <laughs> maybe like Star Tech is really light. Oh, uh, well, maybe it's like repulsor, like Jericho missiles. So I don't fucking sure. know what's in that. Sure, Christian. <laughs> After seeing his rescue, the Watcher kind of reminds us of just how pivotal this moment was as we get a montage of Iron Man's greatest hits. But now with the intervention from Killmonger, none of these will come to pass. Now on this new timeline, a slightly more arrogant Tony Stark owes his life to Killmonger and at a press conference actually goes as far as to make him his new chief head of security. In this same scene, Killmonger is questioned for why he was even there when he was reportedly stationed much further away from the actual incident. Here it is revealed that he was tasked with infiltrating the Ten Rings and upon doing so discovered the plot set by Obadiah to kill Tony during the weapons showcase he performed that day. Obadiah Stang getting absolutely fucking decked by Happy is then apprehended for the assassination attempt. So this reveal was so theatrical that I'm surprised it didn't kind of stick out to Tony and he didn't start to suspect something was up with Killmonger at this mm. point because it's like, well, why didn't you like, why did you wait to this press conference <laughs> You know, to share this huge like revelation, you know, with everyone. Uh, but, you know, Tony's a trusting guy, I guess. 
He did save his life, right? Yeah, and he's kind of sloshed in this like whole scene. So that's true. That's true. Yeah, this is definitely during that whole like demon in the bottle like time period, you know, mm. for Tony in the MCU. So I guess that makes sense. Tony at this point is absolutely infatuated by Killmonger and decides to make him COO of the company, taking Obadiah's position. But Pepper Potts seems less enthused by the idea. In fact, it turns out she had Rhodey dig up what he could about Killmonger's record, but the record she receives seems almost too clean in her eyes and she still questions what he wants with Tony. Yeah, Tony's way too generous just handing out positions in his company, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of the deal in the movies too. So I guess it fits at the same time. That moment kind of opened my eyes to how they, you know, how they handled this episode compared to other ones, because in previous episodes, we'd see, you know, them just rush through different like big moments like that. Uh, whereas this, you know, at least Killmonger like reacts and says like, oh, man, I, I mean, I'm more of a soldier. I don't think I should hand this like have this position. He like he's playing up to it more a little bit. And we get a, those little details throughout the episode. It's definitely slower paced. Well, in this episode, the story is a lot more contained compared to, yes. like, at least the last couple episodes, which had, like, you know, huge universe breaking, you know, moments in them. Yes. <laughs> so as we talk more about this, you know, episode, this story has potential for that also. That night doesn't end, though, for Tony and Killmonger, as he brings him down to what he calls his Candyland, where he works on all of his weapons prototypes. Uh, we get glimpses in this scene of the tech that would inspire, you know, the Iron Man repulsors, colors of his suit, all the while having this conversation between the two of them about what peace and war means. This actually leads into them discussing an idea that Killmonger had for combat drones taking soldiers out of the equation, and Tony, feeling obligated to help, quickly jumps on that bandwagon. Tony and Killmonger start working on mechs designed similar to Gundam or even Michael B. Jordan's animated series Genlock. After a montage of them trying to put this thing together, they run into a kind of power source issue. Tony even suggests making a miniaturized arc reactor, but actually throws that idea right out the window. Instead, they go with a plan to use vibranium as suggested by Killmonger. Yeah, Killmonger is playing a serious game of chess here. Um, yes. I mean, the way that he's really like orchestrating everything and manipulating everything from the inside, it just shows you how cunning of the villain he really is. In order to outsource more vibranium, Tony and Killmonger look for the aid of Ulysses Claw. In order to keep things as legal as possible, though, and slightly appease Pepper Potts' worries about them doing anything illegal, they send a team led by Rhodes to make a deal with Claw. Now, this is when I think we see the show kind of make this leap from, you know, the Iron Man storyline to the Black Panther storyline, as while Rhodes meets with Claw to secure more vibranium for the mechs, T'Challa arrives as the Black Panther to bring the vibranium home. This is when Killmonger finally shows some of his cards as he attacks both T'Challa and Rhodes with a sonic taser and ultimately kills Black Panther. When Rhodes asks why Killmonger was doing this, Killmonger actually questions Rhodes on why he would work for the military anyway, before then killing him at the scene of the crime and planting the sonic taser on Rhodey to put the US and Wakanda at odds. 
while I did enjoy this scene, I was a little disappointed that we didn't get a little more of a, you know, I don't know, a fight out of Black Panther. I would have liked to see a big battle between the two, um, you know, because he's kind of done away with pretty like easily here. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I mean, once again, we only have 30 minutes. It felt like the focus was more on, um, you know, Killmonger killing Rhodey than, you know, you know, doing away with T'Challa. Um, so, I mean, that, that kind of stuck out to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was so much so that it almost felt like T'Challa was just incapacitated and I actually dead in that scene for me. I was like, oh, he's he's actually dead as soon as we get our next moment. But um, I did appreciate that they were like they put in that line that we got, you know, from um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where, you know, he's talking to you know Falcon about changing the system and stuff like that between him and Killmonger. From within. I thought that was a great touch. Yeah. yeah. And I'm actually wondering if that like ends up resonating with Killmonger. I mean, not in the way that Rhodey meant, but I mean, we'll Mm. talk about that later on in the episode. But I mean, back to T'Challa, I feel like that moment, like him, you know, Killmonger killing him would have just resonated more with Killmonger because it felt like he barely registered it, especially knowing like his end goal here. Like the whole reason he's doing everything that he's doing. Yeah, there really wasn't much of a reaction. He just says, oh, nice weapon and tosses it. We get a brief moment here seeing our heroes, you know, returning home in their coffins as Killmonger attends the funeral of Rhodes. But as Killmonger attempts to, you know, make this kind of a rallying call for Tony to spark up production of the mechs, Tony confronts Killmonger with a hologram recreation of what really went down during the attack. This version of Tony not being one to fight unveils the creation of an autonomous mech to fight Killmonger for him. Unfortunately, Killmonger is still able to get the upper hand using a vibranium spear to take down the mech and kill Tony, adding one more notch to his collection of scars for every kill he has ever done. I really love this scene. Um... You know, because, you know, regardless of how maniacal, you know, Killmonger is, he's not going to outsmart Tony Stark. And then seeing Killmonger still like being able to kill Tony, you knew shit was about to hit the fan because, I mean, we've got another, you know, universe without Iron Man. So, I mean, that changes a whole lot of things. Exactly. And why do they keep killing off Tony in general in this series? (laughs) But, I mean, this is different because this is, you know, before Tony even got a chance to become Iron Man. So, Mm -hmm. like, there are no Avengers at this point. So I guess, like, Nick Fury could still put together an Avengers team, but it feels like with Tony kind of being the catalyst for, you know, superheroes in this, you know, universe, that it's just going to cause a huge domino effect. Framing the kill on the Wakandans, Killmonger gets Thunderbolt Ross to immediately start production of the mechs to go to war with Wakanda, of course, as the military goes ahead and seizes all of Tony's assets. Killmonger now with a mech army at his back finally makes his way to Wakanda alongside Ulysses Claw. After having Claw kind of show him the way to actually get to Wakanda, Killmonger goes ahead and puts a bullet in Claw's skull as he is actually one of you know the Wakandans most wanted criminals and he's going to use his body as a way to show his loyalty to them. We next get a meeting between T'Challa's father King T'Chaka, Queen Mother Ramonda, and younger sister Shuri as they sit down with Killmonger, who actually ends up warning them about the mech army knocking at their gates. While, you know, Okoye is dismissive of the threat of the U.S. Army, Shuri sees a little bit more of the danger, but at the same time does not trust Killmonger. Killmonger then gives them a plan to allow the mechs to actually pass through the shield, and once the shield closes behind those mechs, their signal would be 
cut off, stopping all the mechs in their tracks. And using the death of their son, Killmonger is able to gain enough trust in the Queen Mother herself for them to go along with his plan, even with Shuri's skepticism. Yeah, it was interesting to see Killmonger try to work both sides here because he's definitely not, you know, going for that whole like, you know, almost hostile takeover that happened in like Black Panther and gain the Wakandans like trust. Because when he walked into the throne room, I was half expecting him just to kill T'Chaka. Yeah, that, that would make sense, especially since he, you know, his whole reason for going there is because his dad was killed by them. So I, I'm surprised. But I'm wondering if like one of the angles like Killmonger's working is to get T'Challa's dad's trust. So, so he'll like bestow the Black Panther mantle like onto him, you know, especially since he can't like defeat T'Challa in combat to gain it like he does in the original movie. But I don't know exactly how all that works, <laughs> honestly. Exactly. Plus, you know, it's his first day there, so he probably doesn't know all the things he needs to do. He, he barely knew how to get there, so. Mm -hmm. No, that's true. At first, everything goes accordingly with what Killmonger had promised. However, when King T'Chaka offers his gratitude, stating that, you know, Killmonger will always have a home in Wakanda, it becomes clear he wants more than just sanctuary. Killmonger remotely activates the drones, knowing that he may actually get more by causing a bit of tragedy. Yep, everyone's playing checkers, but Killmonger's playing chess here, you know? 3D chess. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, it's time for a little Dora Milaje on Mecha action. As the Queen Mother charges along with Okoye and their fellow Wakandan warriors into battle. Killmonger, taking the opportunity, is quick to get into the fight to show his loyalty and try and get in a deeper favor with the king. So I didn't realize that T'Challa's mom used to actually be like the general of the army. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> well, it was fucking badass, though, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I wish we saw, like, a live-action version of that. Uh-huh. And, man, I just love the fucking war, you know, or battle rhinos, whatever the hell they're called. You know, seeing, like, you know, Killmonger jump on one and everything. And it's just so nice to, like, you know, actually hearing Michael B. Jordan's voice. You know, coming mm -hmm. out of the character. I'm glad that they got so many, you know, the stars you to know. voice these roles. And with victory comes reward as Killmonger is given the heart-shaped herb to become the Black Panther, which of course sends his spirit to the ethereal plane where he again encounters T'Challa. T'Challa here warns Killmonger of what happens to those who gain power unearned as we get Killmonger suiting up in his black and gold rendition of the Black Panther suit. So maybe I'm reading to things and this is probably a stretch, but do you think Killmonger was influenced by Rhodey's speech and just his approach to gaining power in Wakanda? Like instead of just like walking into the throne room and aggressively you know, taking over and, you know, killing T'Challa's dad, you know, he's still kind of like working from the inside, you know, to take over and get like the trust of the Wakandans. I can't be certain because we also saw him doing that with Tony. You mm -hmm. know, he, he did play kind of an inside game from the start of the episode. Yeah. So I don't know if he, you know, he got that from Rhodey or not, but he, he it probably did help to, you know, continue on. I'm probably reading into things. Well, <laughs> 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 that's fine. Um, so part of me was still hoping like T'Challa had some like trick up his sleeve on the ancestral play. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, was, you know, some way of stopping, you know, uh, Killmonger. But of course that didn't happen. Yeah, like maybe some somehow all the old Panthers yes. could like attack him in the, that plane. That'd been cool. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. Once again, it's, <laughs> it's a half hour episode, so. 
Uh -huh. <laughs> Before the episode closes, we find out that the US is planning on a massive bomb strike on Wakanda, as Pepper Potts kind of questions Rasha's decision to even do so. But upon leaving that discussion, she returns to Tony's office to find a young Shuri with proof of Killmonger's misdoings and a hope of creating an alliance to stop Killmonger altogether. Well, just like you can't outsmart Tony Stark, you can't outsmart Shuri. So um, this is probably the most incomplete story of the season. Mm -hmm. We do know with the mid-season trailer just dropping that like this story is going to continue this season somehow, which feels almost strange because there's only like three episodes left at this point. Um, but it also mm -hmm. seems like Killmonger is going to like join up with that like multiverse Avengers team. Part of me is wondering since this episode, the story just feels so incomplete. Like, is this the universe that the watcher feels like he needs to like interfere in? Like, you know, since this is a universe where maybe the Avengers never got together, like, does he need to put together his own Avengers team, you know, somehow to help defend it? I mean, it's very possible. Cause I mean, now we have, no Iron Man in this universe, which means no one's going to be snapping for Thanos. There's there's so many different little things that like aren't going to happen. You know, Iron Man comes up with like the theorem to go back in time mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So all these little elements are I mean, sure, he could possibly fill that role, but I doubt it. You know, I doubt it will be at that extent of level. I just don't quite understand why the Watcher would choose this universe to meddle in. You know, especially after we saw him just kind of let Doctor Strange's universe, you know, that in that episode yeah. just die. Um, <laughs> like maybe it has something to do with like those absolute like fixed points in time. Like maybe something Killmonger's done has changed something so much that it like threatens the entire multiverse. Um, like is a world without Iron Man and the Avengers like never happening? Is that like a big enough reason for him to like get involved? I have to imagine that this world is on the verge of like World War Three because I mean, Killmonger is probably going to lead the Wakandans into a massive war with the U.S. and Thunderbolt Ross is going to drop every Jericho missile. Yeah, right. <laughs> in in Tony Stark's because that's something so, they I did mean, establish I... is now the U.S. Mm -hmm. Army has all of Stark's weapons, you know, and, and shit yes. that they didn't have access to before. Who knows what they're capable of? And that we know like how advanced Wakanda is technology wise. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's going to be World War Three with the world in that much peril. When Loki shows up, I mean, yeah. how easy could he just take over? There's so many events that are still going to happen no matter what, whether or not Tony Stark became Iron Man. So it's just it's going to be interesting to see if how if they play that out any further or what is going to be the catalyst to bring these guys. in. But with Iron Man kind of being the catalyst to like bring on the dawn of the superheroes, you know, in the MCU. I mean, you don't have anything to defend against all those things. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's going to cause a big ripple effect. Even so, I still think the scariest thing out there is zombie Thanos. <laughs> so, I mean, trust I feel like me, that's more devastating. <laughs> that's where I'm hoping they go. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the reason why uh -huh. the Watcher has to get involved. You know, just like having to put together this super team of Avengers from across all these different universes. But regardless of the why, the one thing I can guarantee you is like this story is not going to conclude 
you know, this season. Like, this is going to continue this whole, like, storyline. Because they only have three episodes left. There's just no way that they're going to be able to wrap all this up. So I feel like that team that we're seeing being formed, you know, in, like, all the trailers, you know, the hints of it, at least, that team's story is going to continue on into, like, the second season. I think you're absolutely right, because we still have a whole origin story for this version's Thor, you know, we have to get into Ultron and That's whatever right, he's doing with... Uh, there's supposed to be an Ultron-like episode with uh, Vision, like, having all the uh, Infinity Stones. So that exactly. happens in the trailer. So, yeah, there's a lot of ground they still need to cover. So, <laughs> <laughs> But I'm here for it. I've been enjoying it so far. I mean, the scope of the story was definitely more contained, you know, this episode. Um, but I still enjoyed it, and I feel like there's going to be, like, huge ramifications coming about because of this, you know, episode. Exactly, and all we have is to speculate. And at the same time, I I don't put it past Marvel to put in just fake scenes into that mid-season trailer or whatever they want to release just to throw us all off as well. Yeah. It's, it's something that they would do, so... <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, they love to do that with, you know, their live-action films. So, I mean... And it's a lot easier to do with an animated series, right? Exactly. But we'll all just have to tune in next week to find out what's going on in What If. And now a message from our sponsor, Manscaped. Attention listeners across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Houston, do we have a pew problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new lawnmower 4.0. Blast your pew to the next planet with the performance package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code AMAZING. Christian, I'm a hairy bastard, and one day my wife said enough's enough and got me my very own Manscaped lawnmower. I went from being a Wookiee to being as smooth as Lando. So you know my Bad Batch was more than ready for the next mission when I got my lawnmower 4.0. Ready for an out-of-world experience, fellas? Look no further than the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped that has just taken off in not only the US, but Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver ball deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your whole solar system. First scheduled for liftoff, new Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. This spaceship is here to guide you on a journey to trim your body, balls, butt, and even your anus. This fourth generation trimmer also features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch, can engage a travel lock, and is even waterproof. The Lawnmower 4.0 also has a 4000K LED spotlight you can turn on and off when needed for a more precise shave throughout your travels across the universe. The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker. It's like having a little astronaut to chop your worst weeds in your nose and ears. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9000 RPM 
RPM motor powered 360 degree rotary dual blade system. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides skin safe technology which helps prevent nicks, snags and tugs in those delicate holes. Don't forget to use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver to help your little planets be on their A-game while feeling the sun's heat. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Abort Harry Balls and Buzz Lightyear that Woody with Manscaped. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use our code 20AMAZING. That's 20AMAZING to unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All right, Christian, so you saw a film this past week. That's right, I saw the action flick Kate. Warning, spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for Kate. You have been warned. And now, our feature presentation. How much time do I have? 14 hours, maybe 15. <laughs> Kate, it's gonna be okay. You won't get any more questions from me after today. Kate. A female assassin has 24 hours to get vengeance on her murderer before she dies. Directed by Cedric Nicholas Troyan and stars Mary Elizabeth Weinstead and Woody Harrelson. If I could describe Kate in one word, it would probably be fun. The movie for me almost felt nostalgic as it reminded me a lot of the like the best parts of terrible action movies I would watch growing up. I mean, you could see inspirations from like Crank and stuff like that as this is pretty much that type of story. We follow the main character, Kate, on a rampage as she tries to figure out how to get, get to the person she believes poisoned her. She's a badass assassin who only knows how to kill. And while she may have yearned for a normal life, at one point, that all gets taken away the moment she wakes up in a hospital to find out that she's dying of radiation poisoning. That's just about as far as and deep as this story goes. I will say there was an attempt to create this kind of connection between this very obnoxious side character and herself in the film, but it, it really doesn't work and she's very much the most unlikable element in the entire film, so I'm going to just try and ignore her in general. <laughs> And beyond that, everything else is just pure badassery as Kate tears up Tokyo while she is being literally torn up from the inside. Honestly, when it comes to films like this, the plot is usually paper thin, so you've got to impress me with your action and your cinematography. And that's where this film, in many ways, shines. The fight choreography is solid and tons of fun, and the camera work during those fights always just highlights every little thing that's going on, and it just works so well. The problems I had with the action really came down to its use of CGI. There's a couple moments where the knives that they would like stick through people would look kind of out of place compared to her hands. There's a whole car chase scene that really heavily relies on CGI and it looked as the same level of graphics as a PS2 video game. Like I was seriously getting a Need for Speed Underground cinematic flashback um, during that entire scene. But as I said, when the film sticks to its more practical effects approach, the action is so fun and easy to watch. I thought Mary Elizabeth Weinstead in this film was an awesome badass. I really believed her character throughout. Um, you know, there's a couple moments where she tries to play a little bit more tortured, but I just think the script didn't have anything there for her to really build off of, um, just because the story isn't that deep in general. 
Um, you know, by no means do I feel like, you know, Kate will be winning any awards. Uh, and if you're just looking for something simple and you just happen to be on Netflix, I think this is easily a bloody good time. And for all those reasons, I will be giving Kate a B minus. Well, all right, David, you saw a movie this week. That's right, Christian. I saw James Wan's latest horror film, Malignant. Warning, spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for Malignant. You have been warned. He says his name is Gabriel. I think he's someone from my past. Happy birthday. Whatever happened to you before you joined our family hurt you in a way that I can't even imagine. Stop saying that. Maddie, who are you talking to? Gabriel. Is he your imaginary friend? Imaginary friend? Imaginary friend? Madison is paralyzed by shocking visions of grisly murders and her torment worsens as she discovers that these waking dreams are in fact terrifying realities. This was directed and written by James Wan and stars Annabelle Wallace. So if you listen to the show over the years, you probably know I'm a huge fan of James Wan and consider him one of the modern day masters of horror. His filmography is filled with some of the biggest horror franchises of the last 20 years. Saw, Insidious, The Conjuring, and all of its many spin-offs and their sequels. Plus, I mean, you got a movie like Dead Silence, which, if you ask me, doesn't get enough love. A lot of times, he takes a classic horror premise and puts his own unique stylized spin on it, usually to much success. So imagine my shock when within the first 10 minutes of Malignant, and I'm having to check to make sure I'm watching the right film. I was just so knee deep in cliche horror tropes and over the top acting that I just couldn't figure out exactly what I was seeing. But as I settled into the movie, what I originally thought was borderline bad parody turned into a real love letter to horror films of yesteryear. So after our main character Madison is a victim of a horrible event, she starts to experience gruesome crimes as they happen in the real world. Then when her and her sister start to search for answers with the aid of a couple of detectives, they unlock the dark secrets of Madison's past. So Malignant feels like Juan's homage to 80s and 90s horror with a dash of giallo thrown in for good measure. Juan turns all his horror sensibilities up to 10 and seems to be reveling in all the outlandish ingredients of the genre. Filled with scenery-chewing performances and a score that is absolutely unrelenting. I mean, there's thunderstorms and just rolling fogs. I mean, even though the film takes place during the present day, it almost feels gothic. And yes, it's all a little hokey, but it feels like that's all by design. And honestly, like if it would have ended after the first two acts, I would have probably described Malignant as a pretty entertaining horror throwback. You know, a supernatural film that's a gory good time overall. But then the third act fucking happens and we see what real Hollywood equity looks like and what a director is allowed to do when he has two films gross over a billion dollars with, you know, Fast and the Furious number 27 and a film with an octopus playing the fucking drums, which apparently in the studio's eyes translates into anything he damn pleases. But regardless of why he was able to do what he was able to do, 
we the audience are the real winners here because the third act of this film is truly glorious and one of the most ridiculous insane twists in a film this size and this budget I've ever seen. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm not going to compare it to other films because I'm scared that we'll just give it away right away. But when this reveal does happen, I laughed and cheered. I mean, you would think I was watching the final battle of Avengers Endgame for the first time. I was just truly awestruck at what Juan dared to pull off and just the audacity of it all. Once again, not to spoil anything, but there are action sequences in the third act that, you know, were better than anything we got from fucking Mortal Kombat or Snake Eyes this year. It was truly just exhilarating because you just didn't expect the film to go as far as it did. I mean, bravo to the marketing team because they never let the cat out of the bag of what this film was really about. And yes, in the beginning, I think I had an inkling of where it was going, but never to this extent. Juan is an absolutely fearless artist and <laughs> in turn, he gives you something just so unforgettable and fun. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead, I'm gonna give this film a B plus. I mean, is this the perfect movie? No, I do wish we got some more time after the reveal just to kind of marinate in like the absurdity of it all. But with that being said, I do think Juan gave us a new cult classic that can be enjoyed by new and old horror fans alike. And that definitely says a lot. So go ahead and check out Malignant. It's now playing in theaters and also streaming on HBO Max. Well, now it's time for Christian's Corner. This last week in gaming brought upon the 10th anniversary of THQ Nordic, a company you honestly don't hear enough about. Well, to celebrate 10 years, they gave us a glimpse of what they've been working on with several game announcements, one being a remake of Destroy All Humans 2. We saw a CG trailer and a gameplay trailer that showed off some pretty stunning graphical upgrades to the 2006 classic. Black Forest Games, the team working on the remake, also touted a new, more dynamic physics engine to make destroying all humans and their precious buildings all the more aesthetically pleasing and fun. Um, the trailer simply gave me nostalgia as, you know, the gameplay just looks like it came straight out of 2006 with that more polished look that will be highlighted on all your, your next-gen consoles and PC in which the game will be coming to. Currently no release date for the game, but we will keep you informed for when that happens. Otherwise, the livestream showcase also featured CG trailer announcements for, you know, MX versus ATV, Jagged Alliance 3, and a new SpongeBob game to boot. While I'm not the biggest fan of CG trailers, it was still great to see many of these announcements coming from THQ Nordic with a promise of 42 games in current development under the brand, with at least 28 still having yet to be announced. The future of gaming is still as bright as ever, and if you want to enjoy more of the amazing Nerdshow's gaming content, why not stop by our Twitch channel and give a follow, as we go live every Thursday through Sunday on Twitch. You can also subscribe to help the channel grow for free using your Amazon Prime account. But enough about gaming for now, let's move on to wrestling. But I'm not here to talk to you people tonight, no, no. Right now, I'd like to have a brief conversation with all of the viewers at home. You see, I was smartened up in the back that some of my words might have offended you last week. No. And I just want you to know, I don't care. 
All right, Christian, we don't have a lot of time this week for wrestling, but uh, I thought we'd go ahead and break down the upcoming Grand Slam shows. They're going to be taking place during Dynamite next week and Rampage, which has been expanded to two hours, uh, which I hope becomes a regular thing. But I mean, I'm not going to hold my breath. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They just have so many wrestlers. You know, Mm. on the roster right now. I feel like they need that extra hour, but I digress. Uh, But before we get into it, Big E is now your WWE World Champion. How you feeling? I feel great that he is a champion. You know, I've always said Big E is worthy of being a world champion in WWE. I'm just not so certain that they're going to do anything good with him as a champion. Uh, I'm not so sure what the show is going to do with him going forward, who he's going to face up against. I mean, obviously, he's going to have a big match with, you know, Bobby Lashley in the future, probably in the next event or whatever. Uh, But beyond that, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what they got in store for Big E. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a great moment. I mean, yeah, it was probably most likely hotshot booking on the WWE's part. Um, you know, regardless of it being an answer to AEW's, you know, big win in the demo last week or, you know, Monday Night Football. I just can't imagine, though, them not realizing that Monday Night Football was like happening, you know, this week. Uh-huh. But. I mean, it is the WWE, so there is a possibility that they didn't realize that, you know, Monday Night Football was on the calendar. So I wouldn't be surprised either way. But regardless, I mean, they canceled their whole, like, you know, scheduled card, you know, for Raw. And, you know, they put together a pretty decent show. It shows you what they could do when they put their mind to it. uh, Because they did a great job featuring Big E throughout the night, really building up anticipation, you know, to the main event. And they actually paid it off. Off, uh, with a huge win, it it felt like a big moment, and I, it, it, you're right. It's all about the follow up. You know, it's what they do with Big E with the title. Hopefully, it's mm-hmm. not similar to what happened. You know, with Kofi's title reign, where at first it seemed like it was going somewhere. You know, they were invested in it, and then all of a sudden they just took it away. You know, once uh, SmackDown debuted on Fox. You know, in a matter of what ten seconds was it? Yes. And then it was like he was back to square one. You know, and and like they almost forgot that he's a former world champion. But yeah, let's hope that's not the case. I'm super happy for Big E and it's definitely well-deserved. But anyway, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this two-night Grand Slam card that AEW has put together. Because it is really shaping up to be like another pay-per-view at this point. Well, one of our first announced matches is Brian Pillman versus MJF. Man, I'm kind of nervous about this match because i just don't know where they're going with it i mean pillman feels like he's getting over as a baby face but i feel like there's no way mjf can really like lose here Mm -hmm. um but like jr tonight in that backstage interview he did with pillman was like man he really called you out here you've got to answer him i was like my god jr i mean take it easy <laughs> like questioned his manhood you know i uh-huh. felt really embarrassed for you last week i was like oh my god <laughs> he's gonna like look like a real piece of shit if he loses this match um so i don't know I- i'll be curious to see where they're headed with this i wonder if it'll be more of a and i hate to say it, maybe like a loss by d Q or he loses and you know just starts beating up MJF afterwards anyway continue to give him his comeuppance uh, something I don't know. where he like you know gets over and losing 
you know, yeah. maybe MJF has to cheat to win or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, no, it, 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 Pillman has to walk away like looking good at least after this feud yes. because he did tear him apart last <laughs> week and this week too. So um, he, Pillman's got to get something from this. And another match we have announced is Malachi Black versus Cody Rhodes. That's right. Cody returned this week. Apparently, he was hanging out in the VIP section um, because uh, after Malachi got into it, Rosaria Dawson, uh, Ahsoka herself, Cody had to run all the way down from the top of the arena to get to Malachi. I thought that was a little strange. Uh, they had a nice <laughs> brawl. I think it was smart not to put Cody on the mic because I feel like he definitely would have gotten a mixed reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, I... It, the crowd seemed to be into it. I mean, it was a really hot crowd. I'm sure it's going to be even hotter at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Um, this is another match where I'm wondering where they're going to go. Uh, do you have, you know, Cody beat Malachi Black here to get revenge for his family? Or does Malachi end up winning and keeping his momentum going? I know I personally would want Malachi to continue like building momentum. I want him to have even bigger matches with other stars. And I feel like him losing at this point would be too soon you know he just started and i think wiping out the nightmare family is perfectly fine right now no i i agree um but then and pun intended you kind of put cody in a crossroads right so Mm -hmm. like where does he go as a character because at this point it feels like you know he's kind of lost a lot of his steam and it feels like the crowd's slowly kind of turning on him. And there's a point where like a rah-rah speech and a couple tears are only going to get you so far. You mm-hmm. know, we want to see you in like big feuds. And that three-month period where he was trying to like put over, you know, his nightmare family just didn't do anything for him, it felt like. Not during this match, but after this match. In the aftermath, if you will. Is it time? I don't think it's time to turn him heel just yet. Really? Um, I think we could build something from a lower point and start almost kind of over with him. Isn't that what the whole Nightmare Family thing was? Like, I mean, it was basically a lower mid-card feud he had going on. And it took up so much time. Like, people just were like, we don't care about QT Marshall. (laughs) You know, or that boxer dude. Like, we just, you know, who wasn't ready to be in the ring. I think I'm still maybe hung up on one of your ideas where he tries to help out Adam Page. Because right now, Adam Mm. Page is looking like he's going to be on his own when he comes back against this massive elite. And if Cody Rhodes turns heel, what what does he do? Does he turn Nightmare Family heel with him? Does he go and join the elite at this point? And is, is the elite too many people if Cody joins? I mean, it's definitely a conundrum. But at the same time, I feel like you need to turn him before the crowd completely turns against him. You Mm. want it to be like his decision to turn heel. Because I I know he can win them back eventually whenever he does decide to turn babyface again. Um, You know, he doesn't necessarily have to join the Super Elite, but... You know, you could put him in feuds with other against other baby faces and he can turn into this like obnoxious, egotistical, you know, character that he already is kind of borderline. Right. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because they don't hide away from that aspect of his character. You know, he kind of brought that over with his whole like heel persona um, that that never changed, you know, um, so. 
I don't know. I feel like it'd be easy for him to flip the switch if he wanted to. But it, you, I mean, it is a stacked roster. You're right. Yes. right? <laughs> so, I mean, maybe you do have him, you know, help out Paige and then maybe he turns on Paige and joins the super elite or whatever they're going by. And then you do have this whole evil empire that, you know, Paige and whoever has to go up against. I mean, maybe with Brian Danielson and CM Punk now. Well, another match that was announced was Sting and Darby Allen versus FTR. After, you know, Tully's promo last week, I really thought we were headed towards uh, Sean Spears and Tully versus, you know, Sting and Darby. But uh, this is even better with FTR because I, the more I get to see FTR wrestle, the better, right? Well, all right. Up next, we have a match for the AEW Women's World Championship between Britt Baker and Ruby Soho. I would love for Ruby to win the title. I just feel like it's not the right time. Britt is just clicking on all cylinders. So, you know, and I feel like they're building towards a Thunder Rosa match. Yes. Obviously. So I'm just hoping that they put together a match where Ruby gets to really, you know, shine and really just sets her up for, you know, a possible like title run in the future. Yeah, I'm guessing she's probably going to get screwed over by maybe like Jamie Hayter on the outside or something like that. Yeah. Well, up next in a non-title match, we have Brian Danielson going up against Kenny Omega. I mean, this is a huge fucking match. I mean, for this to be Brian Danielson's debut in AEW in the ring. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow. That's a massive dream match. Um, you know, one that we definitely thought was going to happen. Uh, I'm not surprised that it isn't for the title because if you make it for the title, it kind of throws out your whole ranking system, right? Um, you know, I could see Brian Danielson going over here and eventually getting a title shot because of that. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. I, I don't foresee Brian losing his first match, though. But just because it's not for the title does leave a little bit more unpredictability. Because I feel like if we had said it's for the title, we'd be saying, you know, Brian's not winning just because it'd mm-hmm. be too soon for him. So I do like, you know, I, I like this aspect that it's not for the title. I like that it's, you know, who's who's the better man? We'll see a little bit more, uh, I think, tension because of that. See, I can go the other way where it just feels like, you know, Brian is definitely going to win because it's not for the title. <laughs> so I understand what you're saying, though, uh-huh. you know, because do you want your champion losing to, you know, the big WWE superstar in his first match, you know, mm. in the company? Uh, does that send the wrong message? But I mean, that's that's Vince McMahon's booking talking. So don't mind me. But regardless, it's going to be a massive dynamite and I can't wait. Yes. Uh, over on Rampage, we've had a couple matches already announced. Uh, starting off, we have the Super Click. That's Adam Cole and the Young Bucks going up against Christian Cage and Jurassic Express. This should just be a super fun match. I'm looking forward yes. to it. Uh, Adam Cole had his first match on Dynamite tonight against Frankie Kazarian, who just seems like he's the gatekeeper now for AEW. Uh, but it was a great first match. And Cole really got to show the audience what he brings to the table. I love Christian's like promo afterwards. And it's one of the reasons why I can't wait for Christian eventually turn heels to get more promos like this, because he completely like cuts down Adam Cole, you know, telling him how great it is that his friend saved him from the developmental system and how Adam should be used to losing on Wednesday nights at this point. So I I thought that was amazing. And I'm looking forward to the match with them trademarking Super Click. I'm like a trio's title has to be around the corner at any day, right? It has to be, I would assume. Because didn't they go after Super Elite also? Yeah. 
So um, we'll see because we they found out that those trademarks were filed. We'll see if they get them. The click one might be a little more difficult because I can see WWE already having click trademarked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when it comes to wrestling. So we'll see if they were smart enough to like, you know, do different versions of it also. But I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, WWE ends up fighting them over oh, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Any reason, right? In another tag match, we have the Inner Circles, Chris Jericho and Jake Hager versus Men of the Year who are being represented by the top teams, Dan Lambert. Yeah, I was really surprised Jericho and Hager came out and answered the challenge tonight, uh, but should make for an awesome match. Scorpio and Ethan Page are both amazing wrestlers, and I thought they did a great job in the feud between like them and Darby and Sting. Um, so yeah. I'm glad that, you know, they're being featured here. Um, so seeing Hager and Jericho answer the call, though, did get me kind of wondering, and I started getting a sneaking suspicion, actually, that we might actually see Hager turn heel here. Um, it just feels like the whole, like, top team gimmick and everything that they're going for fits Hager better than anyone in the company. It does. So do you think there's dissension in the cards for the inner circle? Um, I mean, I think you make a great point. I think if anyone would want to put over Jake Hager, it would be Chris Jericho. And I think that'd be a great way to build him up if they put him up in this other heel faction that they've been doing. Like nothing, unfortunately, nothing with Dan Lambert has really landed with me over the last few weeks. When I love his up. promos. I think they're great. I mean, he's just basically channeling Jim Cornette. <laughs> yeah so i i think he's great at him but i feel like the gimmick's kind of weird on scorpio sky and ethan page i yeah. mean scorpio does have a mixed martial arts like background i don't know how legit like ethan page's like karate background is though um i know he played karate mad for impact but i mean other than that i i don't know i don't know if that's real or not but jake hager i mean this was tailor made for him you know, mm-hmm. um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we get a turn here. I mean, maybe not on Rampage, but somewhere down the line soon, because I feel like you've got so many different factions right now in AEW and with the inner circle being there since day one. Like, is it time for some inner turmoil to finally like pop up? You know, we kind of see like a new chapter for them happening. I mean, I have no problem with Jake Hagar being, you know, the the first person to descend upon Jericho. I feel like we might see that from everyone in the inner circle at one point or another. Yeah, I could see them just kind of like parting ways eventually, like agreeing Mm -hmm. to go their separate ways. But I could see like Jake and Jericho having like a prolonged feud. And the last announced match that we have is CM Punk versus Powerhouse Hobbs. I'm looking forward to this match. Uh, they did an angle tonight where uh, Team Taz jumped CM Punk while he was doing uh, commentary. Punk was killing that commentary, by the way. Yes. Um, <laughs> but that's no big surprise. I was surprised that he was actually out there for as long as he was, though, because he was there for uh, like almost half of the show, right? If not more so. Yeah, just a little over half. I love that Punk is working with the younger talent a lot, at least, you know, at first. Um, Hobbs has just looked like a fucking monster lately. It feels like he's putting everything all together now. Um, And I I think Punk is going to get him over as a monster heel. 
yeah, I'm definitely interested in these two guys going at it with one another. Um, beyond that, I was excited by the concepts of, you know, him scouting out Adam Cole, as he was saying on commentary, mm. and that being a future feud. Um, I would like to see him give Frankie Kazarian a try, though. I think that would be a fantastic yeah. match um, on TV if they wanted to do that as well. No, I agree. I agree. I think he's going to probably go through um, Team Taz first. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my guess, at least. After Hobbs, I could see Punk, you know, moving on to Ricky Starks. Um, that's if, like, you know, Cage and uh, Starks' feud is over at that point. Because I was really surprised that that wasn't announced for one of these nights. Because mm-hmm. it felt like they were going that direction. Because they've had, like, the, I feel like the last two shows, they've had, you know, promo packages with them the, with those two going back and forth. So, um, you know, maybe that will still happen. Because at this point, we only have three matches announced for Rampage, and we, we know it's been expanded to a two-hour show. Also, tonight, didn't they announce Moxley and Kingston versus uh, Suzuki-Goon with uh, Suzuki and uh, Archer? Yes. Um, I don't know what night that's going to be on. I was trying to figure that one out. Huh. Okay. Well, maybe they haven't finalized that yet, but I, I'm pretty sure that's happening one of these nights. So, And I'm still holding out hope, too, that Kingston gets to have a title shot against Miro. Also, you know, maybe mm. on Rampage, because <laughs> I just really want to see him win the title in New York, because he's just going to be so fucking over. It's going to be amazing. Now, my guess is that probably isn't going to be happening since, you know, Rampage is going to be filmed right after uh, Dynamite. Damn. So, but I mean, they could pull it off. I mean, he's going to get a big pop either way. And I just think that match is going to be fucking awesome. Yeah. I, I'm excited to see it. I love that they made a point to like make sure that Suzuki got his full entrance yes. this week, and they turned that into an angle because people were pissed. So mad. <laughs> it's just so weird. The show was so off time wise because it, it definitely felt like they rushed that match, and like I came in what I thought was like a couple min- minutes into it. I didn't see the entrance and I thought I missed like a good five minutes of the match, but apparently the match was only like six minutes long, um, you know, and that's with like a commercial break. And then, mm-hmm. but for some reason, Moxley was out in the crowd. I think I talked about last week for like two or three minutes, like running around to the point where I thought something was about to happen. Like he was going to get jumped or something. They just must have just botched the timing somehow because watching it back and seeing that entrance, I mean, Suzuki's definitely like rushing out there, you know, and then they just must have gone home too early because then Moxley's just like running around the crowd looking for something to do. I don't know. It was weird. It was very strange. But with such a young company, hiccups like that are going to happen. I definitely think it's been crazy how much they've been, you know, promoting and building towards, you know, this TV event where it almost felt like they were like overshadowing all out back in the when they were starting to, you know, promote for that. I don't know about overshadowing all out, but I know what you mean because they they were talking about Arthur Ashe, you know, while they were talking about, you know, mm-hmm. all out. So I mean, it's a huge event. The fact that they have like another eighteen thousand seat stadium and everything. Um, and I mean, they're a TV show. I mean, in the long run, it's really about TV ratings because they only do four pay-per-views a year. So their money is coming from their TV deals. So it's important for them to get huge ratings. Exactly. But yeah, that's all we know of the card so far. I think we're going to see a little bit more, you know, you know, matches announced, of course, on Rampage. Um, and maybe they'll even announce some during you know next week's um, Dynamite as well. 
Well, that does it for this week. That's right, and as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours to continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right, you can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some Amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, we'll be reviewing Nicolas Cage's latest movie, Prisoners of Ghostland, and we'll also be breaking down Episode 7 of What If. And, of course, we'll be discussing Night 1 of AEW's Grand Slam. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Maybe we can still heal you. Why? So you can just lock me up? Uh, just bury me in the ocean with my ancestors that jumped from the ships because they knew death was better than bondage. Mm.